All right, so I'm in the, I'll call it the Ronald Blue Trust uh, studio this morning. It's actually my office, and so I've got my equipment set up so that uh, hopefully you can hear me just fine, and you can, uh, almost like I'm right there in the studio. So I was going back through some old outlines and things that I did, and I came across the one that I did for the first uh, month of episodes that, that I was on Talking Money. I couldn't believe it. So these were from January 10th. 2007. So it's interesting to see what I what I talked about all the way back in 2007 when I started t- talking money. So I was talking about uh, giving. I was talking about the gold craze. Interesting. All the way back then, we still had a gold craze, and gold was going nuts back then. And so we were trying to make sure people were effectively diversified all the way back in uh, 2007. And I talked about uh, giving, considering giving part of your IRA to your favorite ministry or charity, something like that, or even your alma mater, and, and using your charity to do that. So uh, that was when the QCD, Qualified Charitable Distribution, was a little bit uh, suspect. We weren't um, able to it was, say it was permanent yet. So it was interesting, a little nostalgic trip for me going the way back to uh, 2007. So today, I want to talk about this, this question, how independent is your independent advisor? So back at the end of last year, October 1st, 2019, the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards came up with a new uh, code of ethics and standards of conduct. And uh, I thought it was would be good to review some of that because there are still things going on that are ethically, people doing things that are ethically challenged. So when I was thinking about talking about this particular subject, I came across uh, several articles. The first one just kind of reiterates why we need regulations like this, and sometimes the regulations don't even don't even work. I mean, they, they may catch somebody after the fact, but they don't necessarily keep somebody from, from doing something they shouldn't be doing. So there was an article in the uh, uh, New York Daily News that talked about a Ponzi scheme. This was in the, the title of the article is Texas Radio Host gets 25 years behind bars for scamming Christian listeners out of millions of dollars. Okay, so I, I guess i got to be careful saying that he's a radio host. No, well, my point is, uh, you can't just because you hear it on TV or on the radio doesn't mean it's something you ought to do or something that's even accurate. So this particular Texas radio host, the article says, who confessed, so I'm not saying this is alleged, a Texas radio host who confessed to scamming his elderly and Christian listeners out of millions of dollars in a Ponzi scheme has been sentenced to 25 years behind bars. Uh, Doc Gallagher pleaded guilty Friday to one count each of theft of more than $300,000, money laundering of more than $300,000, and securities fraud of more than $100,000, according to the Dallas Morning News. Uh, so that's to me, this is, this is the most interesting part. The 79-year-old must also pay $10.4 million in restitution to his victims per his uh, plea agreement with prosecutors. He was 79 years old. Gallagher, the former host of The Money Doctor, used his radio show to target older Christian listeners. Prosecutors said he would meet with them to discuss their finances, guaranteeing annual returns of 5% to nearly 9% if they invested in securities with him. He described it as a, quote, retirement income you'll never outlive, unquote. According to the criminal complaint, 
Gallagher, who wasn't licensed to advise clients on security, so he was insurance licensed but wasn't securities licensed, netted up to $29.2 million from about 60 investors between December 2014 and January 2019, authorities said. By January 31st, 2019, those accounts contained just 820, roughly $822,000 from $29.2 million down to 800 and about $22,000. Authorities said Gallagher operated a Ponzi scheme, paying out about $5.9 million to early investors with cash from newer investors. He also used millions for payroll, radio expenses, as well as personal expenses and legal costs. Gallagher was in, indicted and arrested in March 2019. His assets were immediately frozen, and he has been in custody ever since. He took advantage of some of the most vulnerable people in our society, Lead prosecutor Alexis Goldate said in a written statement, he targeted elderly investors and individuals attracted to his Christian ideals and then stole from them. So one of the things that, that I've often been concerned about, I mean, I uh, joining Ronald Blue Trust, obviously there's a, a biblical basis and biblical principles that we want to adhere to and, and base our advice on, but don't want anybody ever just to come to see us just because they say, okay, you're Christians, you must be honest and you must be good. No, you still want to do your due diligence on whoever that is, on whomever that is, and check with the proper authorities to see if there's any kind of outstanding uh, claims, outstanding complaints, uh, outstanding warrants, uh, a lot of things that, that are out there that could uh, raise a red flag to say, wow, I shouldn't be working with that person. And be careful when somebody says things like, uh, oh, well, we can uh, guarantee to give you add double-digit returns to your account. Well, okay. If that's the case, surely that's got to first of all sound too good to be true. And then you want to find out what kind of strings attached to that. Because I've heard that comment before from multiple people that have been told that if this person, I know I'm going to have a surrender charge if I if I leave my current annuity and buy another one, but the new one said they'll they'll make up for that because they're going to add 10 percent or 12 percent or 15 percent to my account. Well, ask that person when is that money. When is that extra 10% going to be available to you? And when it is available, will you be able to get it out all at once, or will you have to take it out over time? All those have an important uh, effect on how valuable that 10% is. If it's not available to you for at least 10 years, well, that automatically reduces the value. And if you're not able to get to it all at once and have to do it over a period of time, that reduces it even more. So it's not even going to be worth that much. It just sounds good, and it's a good sales technique, and I think you need to be careful with. So another article that was in Barron's uh, a few months ago was entitled, How Independent is Your Independent Advisor? by Darren Fonda. When we get back from the break, I'm going to talk about this, some of the things that she mentioned in here, too, or, or he. I'm not sure what that is, Darren. I guess that's a he. Darren, about uh, things that you need to be watching out for as you are working with someone who says they are an independent financial advisor. They may not be as independent as you think. We'll be back with the second segment of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has four distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, Everyday Steward, Family Office, and the Professional Athlete Division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of $1 million or higher. Private Wealth Advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, 
growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with the big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 14 branch offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust branch offices and the advisors serving there, please visit www.ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. All right, so technology is great. I'm now switched to the phone. Something happened to my sophisticated equipment. It's not. It's not working. But uh, hopefully, I'm. I'm. Uh, you can. You can hear me now. But I know we wanted to talk about this. Um, how independent is your independent advisor? It's an article by Darren Fonda in the Barons Magazine that comes out uh, every week that I get. Uh, so it, it talked about how independent is your independent advisor. So in the article, he says a financial advisor at a small independent firm recommended that he plow almost everything into variable annuities and non-traded real estate investment trust. So his point was that your independence means there may be more flexibility that could be a, a bad thing. So he says independent doesn't mean conflict-free. Later in the article, it says the word independent is used a lot to create the impression that investors are getting less biased advice but just because a firm is independent doesn't mean it's free from the biases that other firms have. Advisors at independent firms usually have more flexibility to recommend private investments such as non-traded REITs and private equity funds, which tend to come with big commissions and high fees, he adds. The risk is that the independent firms take advantage of, this, of that flexibility to investors' detriment. So as I was talking about before the break, you, independent or Christian or whatever it is, just you, you still need to make sure that you check it out to, to see that this person is legitimate and doesn't have some regulatory authorities breathing down their neck that you didn't know about, and maybe it just hasn't finalized. They haven't been able to bar them from the insurance business or securities business yet, um, but they're in the middle of uh, some kind of process that may end up doing that. So he says, in a nutshell, if you work with a registered investment advisor or RIA, he or she must abide by a fiduciary standard of advice. That means your advice, the advisor isn't allowed to put his or her financial interest ahead of yours. The, things get confusing, however, because many individuals in the industry are dual registered as brokers and investment advisors. And firms have dual registrations as broker dealers and advisory firms. So individuals who are dual registered can then wear two hats. They recommend products for which they can earn commissions such as annuities and non-traded REITs. Those are real estate investment trusts, by the way. And they can act as fiduciaries in other capacities, such as providing ongoing advice or account more, uh, monitoring. Now, the problem is, this is me interjecting now, is you don't know which hat they're wearing. Are they coming at me as the salesperson, or is they coming at me as the fiduciary who has my best interest at, at heart? They can be. They can do both. Of the 629,000 broker-dealer representatives, 335,000 are solely registered as brokers, and 295,000 are dual-registered as brokers and investment advisors. Investment advisors only, who, who are generally fee-only and can't accept commissions on securities like mutual funds or stocks, account for 61,500 individuals, according to FINRA. So it's interesting um, to me how confusing that can be, and, and the government authorities try to make things easier, but then they, they don't make it easier. It gets to be harder. Independent advisors have to cover their own expenses, including office space, technology, and staff, and therefore need a higher cut of revenue and commissions to make a profit. Still says Patil, this is somebody he's quoted uh, earlier in the article, 
Uh, he says, it's an eat-what-you-kill system. There's a natural incentive to maximize your revenue and use products with the greatest payouts. And that, I'm not trying to say that everybody does that. I'm just trying to say you need to be aware. There's enough people who do operate like that, and, and they may be the nicest people and sound like the smartest people in the world, uh, but you still, buyer beware. You need to beware. He uh, led the article, how are investors affected by all this? Uh, in that article, he says, yeah, while everyone in the industry has to follow the same rules, compliance procedures, and regulatory oversight isn't uniform. Advisors at large firms tend to be audited internally and are supervised by branch and regional managers. Independent advisors have more autonomy to build and run their own portfolios, and they may not face as much oversight from a home office. And, and, I'm, and I know that's true, but I'm not also saying that just because it's larger and there's more compliance procedures and oversight from the firm itself that, that prevents them from doing things they shouldn't do. Because how many times have all of us heard of someone who is, is doing that in, inside a big firm? And, then, of course, they finally get caught, but that's after you've lost your money. But possibly with a bigger firm, there's a chance to, to get your money back. Uh, better than it would be if an independent firm which may not have the, the, what they call the deep pockets. So he says, later, nonetheless, many clients don't wade through the disclosures. Even if they did, it's unclear how an advisor is compensated or affected by the firm's conflicts of interest. It's often really difficult to get the full picture of advisor's compensation, says Christine Lazaro, a law professor who runs an investor legal clinic at St. John's University. It's a black box. Regardless of their affiliation or regulatory registration, advisors say they would lose business if clients weren't satisfied. So obviously clients stay there or they're satisfied. Well, I think some clients stay just because they just don't want to change and they want to think the best of people. Um, said investors may be confused about whose side their advisor is really on. Our RIAs, registered investment advisors, and broker dealers operate under different rules and regulators don't appear to, eager to clear up the confusion. The SEC recently imposed new rules for brokers, for instance. Starting in June, brokers will be held to a best interest standard when making an investment recommendation up from the suitability standard under the current current rules. Uh, if conflicts are disclosed and mitigated, firms can continue to sell high fee products rather than similar products with lower fees. So it's interesting. They can still sell you stuff with high fees as long as they disclose them. All right, we're ready to go for a hard break here tonight. Back with more than talking money after these messages. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money. As a trust company with clients in all 50 states, Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit, which is usually the common perspective, or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, director of Family Matters, said it well, quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation, unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com. 
send an email to greenville at ronblue.com or call the Greenville office at 864-233-7405 or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. All right, so we said now back to Talking Money, and I think we're officially back to Talking Money this time. So back on the, the regular equipment, so rebooted things. That's what the technology, the IT people always tell you. If there's something, you call them to say something's wrong with my computer. What's their first piece of advice? Reboot the computer. So I rebooted the system, and uh, we were able to reconnect again. So we were talking about the uh, article in Barron's about how independent is your independent advisor and that you have to be careful and make sure that you really don't just take somebody's word for it. You check them out. Check the regulatory authorities and see if there are anything, any issues going on that may raise a red flag, certainly a yellow flag. Uh, wouldn't just necessarily take other people's word for it that they've worked with this person because it's probably somebody they just worked with that was new. Uh, I, I spoke with a radio listener this week or emailed back and forth. He's been a long-time listener, and he, he bought an annuity 10 years ago, and it's coming up for renewal, and he, he uh, you know, couldn't remember what his expectation was for the annuity. Uh, but he said it well, probably earned maybe 3 or 4%, so I don't know who knows what it really earned over the last 10 years. Uh, he said the last couple of years it hasn't earned much of anything. So uh, he's ready to move it out of there. So I think the, the expectation of what you think might happen in a particular investment or annuity or otherwise and of what may actually happen, just be careful who you talk to and, and that you don't uh, just take somebody's word for it. Make sure you, you ask around, do some research. Uh, some of the best clients we have are those who are the, the uh, most well-read, the most informed, and, and they typically will, will make uh, much better decisions. But I, I think... You know, of course, we feel like, yes, we're ethical and we want to do what's right for the client. Uh, but we still think, yes, check us out. Uh, I'm, I'm really fine with you checking out, checking us out with FINRA and the SEC and just uh, check on the complaints. It won't take you very long because there aren't any listed there. But it's still something you ought to check into to see. And just don't assume, OK, somebody's on the radio or somebody goes to your church. Uh, they must be good because they're my elder. Or they're my deacon. Certainly they wouldn't try to do something to um, uh, to to. Uh, fraud me or something like that. So we want to be really careful with that. So the rest, the end of this article in Barron's, uh, there again talking about independents and brokers and fiduciaries versus brokers. It says, um, starting in June, I finished off before the break, starting in June, brokers will be held to a best interest standard when making an investment recommendation up from the suitability standard under the current rules. So it will be increased, but it's still not going to be the fiduciary. And, of course, with trust companies like Rondo Blue Trust, it's, it's stepped up even further. There's oversight from the OCC, and it's much more stringent oversight, and the fiduciary standard goes up even higher because there's custody of funds. So you want to make sure that uh, custody of funds, the, that the oversight is, is much uh, stronger and stricter. He says, uh, and then this article, uh, if, if conflicts are disclosed and mitigated, Firms can continue to sell high-fee products rather than similar products with much lower fees. And this, this is amazing to me. And just another warning to you, you need to check these things out because it says if conflicts are disclosed and mitigated, firms can continue to sell high-fee products rather than similar products with much lower fees. So one example would say, okay, if I've got a, a, an annuity I'm going to buy that has a surrender charge of 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, 
uh, that's going to be a more expensive annuity than one that uh, is just has three years worth of surrender charge or zero surrender charge. Now, they're going to put more bells and whistles on that one that has 15-year surrender charges typically, uh, but you've got to keep it for 15 years to get all those bells and whistles, and which means those bells and whistles aren't worth as much when you have to wait a long time to get them. Uh, uh then he, he starts wrapping up the article, said, Registered investment advisors, meanwhile, are still being held to a higher fiduciary standard. Their financial interest can be tied with the clients, according to new SEC rules, but they have an ongoing duty to monitor portfolios, whereas a broker's responsibility for investment advice ends with the transaction. When an advisor is dual registered, you never know when he's changing hats, said Joseph uh, Janicek, a fee-only RIA in Denver. He could be talking as a fiduciary one moment and representing the broker-dealer in the other. We think that's a complexity that investors shouldn't have to sort through. And I agree with that. It's, just, it's too hard. You ought to be one or the other, or at least be required to sell somebody when you're not wearing the fiduciary hat and are required to act in the best interest of the client and when you're operating under the other hat. And then, as he mentioned in some of those earlier articles about the difference between insurance uh, oversight and the the broker dealer or SEC oversight is, is still a pretty wide range. So I've got two articles here written by Bruce Kelly. Uh, one's titled "Advisor Barred Twice from Securities Clings to Insurance." And the other article is states uh, is headlined "Weak State Oversight of Insurance Sales Hurts Investors and Advisors." So he's basically talking about the difference in oversight and that some people who are barred from brokerage are still selling insurance. And this, this one uh, that he talks about, this, uh, the case of this in the article, of Ronald Morley, who has been barred from selling securities twice, once in 2006 by Maryland, where he is based, and again in 2016 by the Securities and Exchange Commission for two different schemes, he is also a convicted felon in Kansas. Despite his questionable background and an ongoing effort by the Maryland Insurance Administrator to take away his license, Mr. Morley's license is deemed active on the state website that consumers can use to check whether insurance salesman has a state's approval to sell insurance. Mr. Morley promotes and paid really close attention to this. Mr. Morley promotes his insurance experience and background on his LinkedIn profile page, even though Maryland is trying to revoke his license. His current firm is called Client One Marketing. And next page. Uh, having been in his, and this is a quote from his, his uh, LinkedIn page. Having been in the insurance business for well over two decades, we realize the importance of your hard-earned savings when you retire. Mr. Morley writes, Now more than ever, it is important to plan for 30 years in retirement with income you cannot ever outlive, which means he's selling Annuities, So he doesn't have to be securities licensed, and even though he's been banned from securities twice, he's still selling this. So it really pays to check on these things to see if somebody truly is um, the ethical as you think they are, or as they sound, or as they look. Uh, you know, so many people think, well, I would, I would, uh, I'd be able to tell if somebody was conning me or if they weren't telling the truth. Well, uh, you, you always think they're going to be like the, the one on TV who's typecast as the bad guy. He just looks like a bad guy. Uh, the one you have to worry about is the smooth talker who doesn't seem like a bad guy, but he's, but, but he or she is. And you've got to be so careful with that to make sure they really are in it for your best interest, that the advice they're giving is truly for you. And, and asking how much somebody's going to make on a transaction is, is perfectly legitimate. 
I had a prospect, uh, Randy came in a few weeks ago, and he told me I could use his name, and told me I could even use the, the broker's name if I wanted to, and he I could quote him on it. I'm not going to do that, but he did tell me that he went to see one of the, this, it's a radio host, not on this station, but another station, and he asked him how much he was going to make on it, and the, and the uh, broker, insurance broker, got uh, visibly upset with him and told him he didn't have any business asking that question because the what he was showing him was already net of all all his commissions. Well, uh, I'm sorry, but it's still uh, really, really, I'm not sorry. Uh, you need to ask that kind of question to see what is the amount that this person is going to get paid. Because if somebody's going to get paid six, seven, eight percent up front. That's got to affect your return. Don't think it doesn't. So when you look at that and the and the uh, proposals you may be looking at don't look like they're there. But believe me, they are there. Uh, the experienced eye can see them. You may not be able to see them, and you may not find out till you probably won't find out till later uh, that it wasn't what it was all cracked up to be. So be very, very, very careful. Okay, so for the time we have left, a few minutes before this break, let me start with this code of ethics and standards of context. I'm going to read through some of these things. There's there's six basic code of ethics statements that the Certified Financial Board of Standards makes for all Certified Financial Planner professionals. And you're supposed to say professionals or certificate or something like that after you say CF, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, not trying to, to, to make it sound more professional, it's just that's what they said because of the way the CFP has been designated or set up. Uh, so all CFP professionals... Uh, and I think if they're not a CFP professionals, you should be adhering to the same code of ethics. But here it is. The, the six uh, CFP, a CFP professional must, number one, act with honesty, integrity, competence, and diligence. Now that right there should be, you'd think that'd be enough. Number two, act in the client's best interest. Number three, exercise due care. Number four, Avoid or disclose and manage conflicts of interest. Number five, maintain the confidentiality and protect the privacy of client information. Number six, act in a manner that reflects positively on the financial planning profession and CFP certification, which is you know something people don't think about. If 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 a CPA does something bad, well, it, it really does have somewhat of an effect on the other CPAs in that profession. If an insurance professional does something bad, it reflects negatively on the insurance profession. In pretty much any profession, that happens. So if a certified financial planner does something that they shouldn't be doing that's unethical, it has a, a, it's tainted, taints the rest of that profession, at least the people who are aware of this person who did something they weren't supposed to do. Okay, so when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about the standards of conduct. So there's a, a number of them here that I think uh, you need to know about because uh, you need to understand how, if you're working with a certified financial planner, how they are supposed to be treating you. And if they're not a certified financial planner uh, professional, uh, should they be adhering to the same uh, code of ethics and standard of conduct. I think they should. I think they should be trying to anyway. And I, I even remember one person that said they had this other designation, and they told the prospect or they called the person we were talking to, oh, it's just as good as a CFP. It's just as stringent. And when you look in it, there's no way that it is. But the CFP certificate, CFP um, board, this of all the designations that are out there in the financial planning, this one has, I think, the most credibility and it's uh, most widely held as the professional one that a, a person who's in financial planning 
should uh, try to get that certified financial planner and go through the process, the years of experience as well as the testing requirements that go along with it. Okay, so we're past time for the break here, so we will take this break. If you want to ask a question, go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com, TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And there you can find a place that you can submit your question as well. We'll get that on a future show. All right, we'll be back with the rest of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com. Send an email to greenville at ronblue.com or call the Greenville office at 864-233-7405 or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. All right, we're back with the last segment here. We've got about 10 minutes left in Talking Money, so glad you're with us today. If you're a new listener, you'll uh, pick up pretty quickly. This is not a, a sales uh, show. This is not a program that's designed to uh, just get you hooked and get you to where you'll buy an insurance product, typically insurance. Sometimes it's gold, uh, usually some kind of insurance product. Uh, that it's rarely mentioned that they're selling insurance, but that's uh, that's what they're doing. You just always uh, have some some uh, caution when you're when you're working. It's your money, and you deserve to ans- ask the questions that you should ask. Don't feel bad about it. Don't feel like oh this is uh, that's an embarrassing question, or he might sound like I don't trust him. Well, you don't. Uh, initially, when you first meet somebody, you don't necessarily, they've got to earn your trust over time. And so it pays to watch. And we've had a number of clients over the years who have started with us and, and were very, very much hands on. And it took several years for them to finally say, okay, good. I don't need to look at this stuff anymore like I used to. And that's, that's when we know we've gained the trust and confidence of someone when, when they stop looking at things as much as they did. But it, it, it's perfectly understandable for somebody to do that. At first, to make sure they they are working with somebody who does truly have their best interest at heart. So I mentioned the code of ethics before the break. There's also a long list, and this is a booklet I'm looking at. It's pretty long, and I'm sure you could find it if you go to CFP Board of Standards. If you just search on CFP Board of Standards and then search for the code of ethics and standards of conduct, you can be able to read this same the same thing. So it's the, the the first one's duties owed to clients. So this is the fiduciary duty. We talked about that. So you're going to do act as a fiduciary. That means it's the best interest of the client. And then they have a list, a list of duties of loyalty, duty of care, duty to follow kind instructions. The second one is integrity. So a CFP professional must perform professional services with integrity. Integrity demands honesty and candor, which may not be subordinated to personal gain or advantage. 
And we have confidence. Of course, everybody assumes, yeah, we should have confidence that a CFP professional must provide professional services with competence, which means relevant knowledge and skill to apply that knowledge, which also means if there's an area that you're not familiar with, there's somebody else on your team that they should be calling in or they should be calling in outside professionals. They shouldn't just act like they, they know it all because this field is so broad, nobody knows everything about everything in financial planning. Um, so competence and then diligence. Uh, this means this is a little harder to understand, I guess. A CFP professional must provide professional services, including responding to reasonable client inquiries in a timely and thorough manner. Does your advisor call you back? Or when you're calling about the market downturn, you're a little nervous. Does he not want to talk to you? He takes him a couple of days to get back to you if he calls you back at all. Uh, so that's not good. Uh, disclose and manage conflicts of interest. Now that some of these things sound so uh, logical that sh- surely somebody's doing that, but no, there's things going on all the time that somebody may be presenting you with an idea that it, to sell something to you or get you to invest in something is really in, in their best interest, not necessarily your best interest. Uh, sound and professional judgment is number six. A CFP professional must exercise professional judgment on behalf of the client that is not subordinated to the interest of the CFP professional or others. Objective professional judgment and professionalism. Yeah, you want to gain dignity, courtesy, and respect. Comply with the law. Yeah, okay. We should, is that a, a duh? Of course. They must comply with the laws, rules, and regulations, but they don't all do that. Confidentiality and privacy. A CAP professional must keep confident, confidential and may not disclose any non-public personal information about any prospective current prospective, current, or former client, except that a CFP professional may disclose information that gives some some different types of information and in certain cases where you can disclose to somebody you might be working with. So in our case, we work with Fidelity. So, yes, we're going to give the pertinent information to Fidelity in order to set up the, the right kind of accounts. Uh, provide information to the client. So when you're providing financial advice, um, agree to provide financial advice that does not require financial planning in accordance with the practice standards. A CFP professional must provide the following information. So a description of the services, how the client pays for the products, how the CFP professional, the firm, or any related party are compensated for the product. So they, they have to do that. So a CFP professional is required to tell you how they are going to be compensated or any related party. So if you're buying an insurance product, so it's not just how much the broker is going to get, but how much is the insurance going to get? And I think you need to be careful when, you, when you're when uh, asking that question to make sure you get the full picture because I've heard the majority of the time, it's not all the time, but the majority of the time, uh, well, well, I will ask, and I asked my sister the same question. I said, okay, so did you ask how they got paid? And he said, yes, I did. And what was their answer? Their answer was that you don't pay me anything. I get paid everything by the insurance company. Okay. So where does the insurance company get get the money? Well, people don't necessarily think that that far ahead. They see, well, the, the proposal that I submitted to you is already net of my commission. So you're already seeing it after the fees. Yes, but I still want to know how much because I know built in that product somewhere that expense is going to be there. So a number of years ago, I was at a financial planning association uh, statewide uh, conference in Columbia, and we were uh, doing the ethics. So every two years, a CFP professional is required to have several hours of ethics training as part of their continuing education. So one of the one of the case studies in here was uh, a situation just like this, where it said 
the is is a CFP uh, professional allowed to say, okay, no, I don't get paid. You don't pay me. I get paid from the insurance company. And that, he said, was a breach of the CFP code of ethics right? because it's not doing, it's not really representing what you're doing correctly. So if if you are not working with an insurance professional, a CFP professional who is also an insurance agent, well, they don't have to tell you. But if you work with a CFP professional who is an insurance agent, they're supposed to tell you exactly how they are compensated. And then there's duties when communicating with the client. And there's duties when representing compensation methods. So it's a fee only or is it fee based? How do you get paid? Uh, sales related compensation, uh, rela- related parties. So duties when recommending engaging and working with additional persons. Duties when selecting, using, and recommending technology. Uh, the financial planning process and application of the practice standards for the financial planning process. So there's uh, multiple pages here, CFP board evaluations. And the CFP board, uh, we get fairly regular communications with them talking about people who have been censored or fined, had their, their CFP uh, re- professional designation revoked. Uh, and so there, there, there are ways to follow up on on uh, people who are doing things that they're not supposed to do that you can report them and have an investigation. Maybe what they're doing is perfectly fine, but if you're a suspect of that at all, then you need to to report that to, to make sure that, that you know what is uh, what is going on. So you're not supposed to borrow or lend money. You're not supposed to co-mingle financial assets with it. Uh, there's duties when selecting, using, and recommending technology. There's duties when recommending, engaging, and working with uh, other other people. Uh, but I think one of the biggest things is uh, the communication and the representing compensation. Uh, the, the CFP board is, is no longer saying fee only, not fee only. They're saying you need to make sure you're working with somebody who's working in your best interest. How they get paid is immaterial as long as they're really working in your best interest. So I agree with that, but I think it's just it, it behooves all of us to really make sure that we are checking people out to make sure that they're really abiding by the code of ethics and make sure they're really representing you and not representing some other company, the insurance company. Agent represents an insurance company. They don't represent you. So make sure that they're really doing things in your best interest. Well, thanks for listening to Talking Money. Go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com if you want more information and want to, to um, hear some other shows that we've done in the past about other topics. We're so glad you uh, joined us today. We look forward to speaking with you again next week for the next Talking Money. Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested.